This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're talking with Andrew Sakamoto from the Tenant Resource and Advisory Center. Now, TRAC, we're using that, the short version of that long title, uh, its purpose here uh, in British Columbia is to promote the legal protection of residential tenants. So folks who are renting right across the province, they provide lots of information, education, support, and research on all things about rentals, and as you as a renter, and probably as a landlord as well. Andrew Sakamoto began his time with TRAC. Boy, you've been there for about, what, seven years now, Andrew? Yeah, um, seven and a half, yeah. Seven and a half. Coming up on eight. Cool, okay. And you're currently the executive director. Um, I was surprised when I read uh, the number of folks that you guys end up helping or have helped. I've got a number here like 600,000 tenant households, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, so we're a a small team that... uh, I'd like to think accomplishes a lot each year. So, yeah, there, there, there are roughly 600,000-plus tenant households across the province, and we're a provincial organization that um, has services available for for all residential tenants. Um, so, yeah, we have about three and a half uh, employees, and we... We we try to we try to do as much as we can with the little resources we have. I bet you do. Now that six hundred thousand number has that gone up or down in the last couple of years since you've been with Track? Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's increased a little bit though. Um, you know, I can tell you one thing. Uh, you know, in terms of the the, the tenants we speak to across the province. Uh, certainly, complaints about affordability and unavailability of rental housing have certainly skyrocketed over over the past few years. It's got to be huge, especially anybody living on the Lower Mainland, regardless of where you're living on the Lower Mainland. A- absolutely, yeah. No, we we're, we're we're based in in Vancouver, and so we you know we do a lot of our work uh, in Vancouver in the Lower Mainland. But again, we are provincial, and so I want people to know that that you know our services are available to uh, to any tenant across the province. Yeah, no, I think that's a good thing to include. So let's talk about the kind of work that you that you you and your team do. Um, what are the latest trends? I was I know I've got one that I want to ask you about, but what do you see as the trends that you guys are dealing with these days? Yeah, so so in addition to uh, increased complaints about uh, housing affordability and unavailability. I'd say the other big complaint that we hear is um, a lack of funding for the provincial residential tenancy branch, which leads to access to justice issues for not only tenants but also landlords trying to resolve disputes. So um, the residential tenancy branch offers uh, what is essentially BC's tenant and landlord court. Um, It's called dispute resolution, and it's similar to court but different in some important ways. you, know, you don't have a judge presiding over your case. It's an arbitrator. Uh, it's a lot more affordable um, at only $100 to apply. It's m- almost always conducted over the phone, um, but it's still, it still it serves as BC's uh, tenant-landlord court. And uh, 
the, the, the RTB has been underfunded for, for years. And the, the great news is that with the new government coming in, they've actually, as part of their new budget, um, decided to significantly increase the funding. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the process of what a, somebody who's renting in the Lower Mainland or even in just in the city of Vancouver, that's fine too, or Victoria for that matter. What are the kinds of things that people are up against? Where do you see the complaints coming from or, or what are those complaints these days? Yeah, so, so one of TRAC's main services is our tenant info line. So we, we assist anywhere from 7,000 to 8,000 callers uh, per year and track the nature of those calls. And um, year after year, the two most common complaints uh, center around eviction and repairs. So, um, so those are definitely the two most um, common issues that I think tenants are facing in BC. You know, much of BC's purpose-built rental housing is 40-plus years old and deteriorating. And... Um, and yeah, so there's a lot of tenants facing facing uh, properties falling into disrepair, um, and then obviously eviction is is the other big one, um, you know. And, and and eviction can be not only for um, for bad tenant behavior, but also when a landlord wants to um, you know use their property for a different purpose or um, you know renovate in a way that requires the tenant to to move out or move in close family. Um, and, um, yeah, so I'd say, I'd say repairs and eviction are definitely the two uh, most common issues that we encounter. Um, Andrew, that, that's great information. Um, you know, a lot of the clients that I, I see at Sands and Associates, you know, sometimes they, they're in a transition between different housing, they've just signed on to something, or they're, they're looking to make a change, you know, maybe for budgetary reasons. Um, I wonder if you have any guidelines about if someone's trying to consider, you know, what can I afford? How do I find, you know, housing that, that's right for me within the province of BC? Um, do you have any, any guidelines or guidance for those folks? Yeah, and you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if I have any sort of, uh, you know, silver bullet. Uh, yeah, it doesn't exist, to, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we we see we're seeing bidding wars for uh, for rental properties nowadays. Wow, we're seeing, we're seeing one bedrooms in Vancouver go for twenty one hundred. Um, hmm. You know, I think I think there's hope in, in you know, with the with the new uh, provincial government coming into power, and and you know, they they ran on a a campaign. Um, uh, you know, focused on affordable housing and increasing protections for renters. So I think there's definitely hope there, and it's it's now time to uh, you know to hold them accountable. Um, one thing I will say, we always try to um, um, uh, warn tenants to look out for um, six-term tenancies with vacate clauses. Okay. Um, and, and this is something that's uh, you know been in the news, and Track has been quite vocal about it with media, and um, um, it, it, it's one of those loopholes that you hear about when it comes to the Residential Tenancy Act. Yeah, so, um, so maybe just just uh, explain to to our listeners what, what that means. So it means you know if I was signing a lease, it runs for a year and then I have to vacate. Is that is that kind of as simple as it is, or is there more to it? That's 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 correct. Yeah. So you know you can have a month to month agreement as a tenant, or you can have a fixed term uh, tenancy agreement, also referred to as a lease. And mm-hmm. so what landlords um, are increasingly doing is signing tenants to one-year leases with a vacate clause. In other words, a, a term requiring the tenant to move out at the end of that one year. And so, you know, one year passes by and, and the landlord can either kick out the tenant for no reason, bring in a new tenant and raise rent as much as they want, 
or they can go to that existing tenant and say, you can stay, but you have to sign a brand new tenancy agreement with brand new terms, including rent at whatever I want. So it's, wow. it's, it's sort of a loophole to, um, to circumvent rent controls and, and uh, you know, reduce security of tenure and, and arbitrarily evict tenants um, at the end of these terms. So it's, you know, it's, it's something we've spoken to uh, not only the, the new government, but the previous government. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's been acknowledged that it's a, it's a tactic that landlords are using to, uh, you know, to, to game the system. And, you know, it, it truly is a loophole that needs to be closed. And, um, and you know, the, if, you, if you looked through the, the NDP's platform, um, they, they, this is one of the loopholes they promised to close. And so, again, now that they're in power, we're, you know, we're, we're in uh, somewhat regular uh, communication with them and, and, and trying to hold them accountable and, and close it as soon as possible. And hope that they're able to. It's hard, though, boy, oh, boy, in this kind of a market, hey, Andrew, with the fact that it's so market-driven, cost is so driven in terms of I'm a landlord, I own a building, and let's say yeah. it is in a little bit of disrepair, uh, and then I can say, well, you know, everybody needs to be out because we need to fix this, because I know I've read about uh, read stories where that's happened, where folks who own a building will then just have it taken down, demolished, yeah. and, uh, you know, put up those million-dollar condo towers. Yeah, and, and so just to clarify, that's that's a little different than, um, you know, the vacate clause loophole that I, that I was mentioning. Um, so, you know, even if that loophole was closed, um, landlords across the province would still have the right to issue, um, it's called a two-month notice for landlords' use of property uh, for the purpose of demolishing or uh, or renovating their their rental units. Okay. So so that would still exist for landlords if their properties are, you know, falling into disrepair. Um, And so if, 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 you know, if a landlord issues a tenant that type of eviction notice, uh, the the law says that they have to give the tenant two months notice right and and one month compensation. So what typically happens is the tenant will live there free for the second month. Okay, but still, that's that's something that's got to be going on, especially in the Lower Mainland right now, to a huge degree. A- absolutely, and and unfortunately, one thing that we we see quite frequently is um, landlords trying to uh, pressure tenants out using that type of eviction notice when they have no intention of actually following through with that type of eviction notice, right? right? Yeah. So a landlord can say, you know, uh, I, I'm going to move in myself or I'm going to move in my close family or I'm going to um, you know, make renovations. And so the tenant receives a two-month notice and they, they move out at the end of the month and then the landlord simply moves in a new tenant and, and raises rent as much as they want. So, you know, there's definitely money to be made in tenant turnover. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely something we, we try to warn tenants about, too. So is that how, is, or would you consider that your largest resource, then, is, is folks who, who get into a, a problem where they've, they've got to sign a lease? So let's say I've got to sign a lease. My landlord says, I've got to sign this lease. Now, would I be able to phone you and say, okay, this is what is being told. Um, he wants me to, or they want me to sign this. Um, can you give me some support, or what kind of other resources do you offer folks? Yeah, absolutely. So, as I mentioned, our phone service, the, the tenant info line, is one of our most um, popular services, and absolutely, we're you know we're available Monday to Friday for free, um, and so tenants can call us anytime, and 
Uh, exactly. You know, get information, you know, before they find themselves in, in problems, right? Before they've signed a tenancy agreement and entered into a, a legal contract. Um, and Andrew, do you want to say what that, that number is just for our listeners if they're taking notes yeah, out there? Yep. Absolutely. It's uh, it's 604-255-0546 or um, 1-800-665-1185. 1185 665 1185 yeah. so if if i'm a if i'm a, a, a possible tenant of a residential property and i've got questions this is the number to call and and you you guys are the ones that are going to give me a bit of a hand with this yeah we're, we you know we i'd like to think we you know we we complement the work being done by the residential tenancy branch so again they are the the provincial government that uh, handles tenant and landlord rights and responsibilities, and so they have their own phone service. But um, the, the the phone wait times can be quite long. Right. So yeah, and so if you're specifically a tenant, you can you can call us too. Excellent. If you're having trouble getting through. Andrew, thank you, Andrew Sakamoto. He's from Tenant Resource and Advisory Center. He's the executive director. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So before we get into things, Blair, can you talk a little bit about or explain what you do at Sands & Associates as a licensed insolvency trustee? I know it's quite a title, and it actually means something, though. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so a licensed insolvency trustee um, is the only person licensed and endorsed by the federal government to help you deal with your debts. So if you've got a situation where you owe too much money, more than you're able to realistically pay off, whether it's the government, whether it's a bank, whether it's even a personal creditor, a licensed insolvency trustee is the person that can help you either reduce the debt through a consumer proposal um, or help you restructure your entire you know, financial health uh, through a personal bankruptcy. Okay, so there's two things that we're always talking about or looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at a case where a consumer proposal made sense as a debt management option for someone. Sure. And, you know, consumer proposals are about two-thirds of the, the volume of work we do these days. So people coming through the door, you know, five years ago, no one had heard of a consumer proposal. Um, now people coming through the door, people are asking for, you know, I need to do a proposal. I know this is a good solution for me. So it's about two-thirds of the folks that we meet with. So the situation that I came across recently, it was a 30-year-old gentleman. Um, he had about $34,000 of consumer debts. Most of it was your standard, you know, MasterCard, Visa, lines of credit, things like that but also about $5,000 in government student loans. And he had just recently graduated just a couple of years ago. Okay, so that's a lot of money, third, over $34,000 yeah. in debt. Yeah, and you'd, a- you'd ask out. why, right? Sure. Yeah, and you know, when I sat down with him, we figured out, well, when he was going to school, he couldn't work. You know, he was trying to work part-time, but he also had some personal health issues. So, okay. you know, it was all he could do just to show up to class, but then a lot of his therapies, his drugs and things like that, they weren't covered. So, you know, mm. something had to give, and what, what happened was he had this credit limit that could be used, and he essentially used it to survive. Which 
kind of makes sense that you would do that, right? I mean, I'm sure he's not alone in, in, in dealing with a debt situation by doing that. Yeah, I don't find anybody, you know, goes lightly when they, when they know, hey, well, I'm spending money on my credit just to survive. They don't do that as their first option. That's right. kind of the last resort. And, you know, this gentleman as well, um, he had a vehicle that he had financed, you know, it was a Kia Optima, it was a couple of years old. Uh, one of the first things that he started to do was, was he stopped paying on the vehicle. He's like, you know, I can't afford the car payment and tuition and living, so something's got to go here. So by the time he he met me, you know, he had already had his vehicle seized from him oh, even, even a couple of years back there. Oh, that's such a drag. And it's not like it was a big, fancy, expensive no. SUV. It was a Kia, for yeah, goodness sake. It, was, it wasn't over, you know, overpriced for what he needed. No. Right. Right. Okay, so um, what were you able to do for him? Yeah, so he came in and then sat down with me, and we figured out, okay, he's now graduated. He's now able to earn income, um, but he's got nowhere near the income that he's going to need to service this debt. So we looked at what are the options, and we looked at if he filed for bankruptcy, what would happen? And, you know, he wasn't too interested in bankruptcy. He was just starting off his career. Um, he realized, you know, if I go in, in, into bankruptcy, I might get get rid of the debt quicker than through a proposal, but that's not really what I want to do. I want to, you know, make a good faith effort to pay back what I can afford. And it is a scary word. It's mm-hmm. still a scary word for people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. People hesitate to call us because they think all we can do is bankruptcy. And again, that's about a third. Two-thirds of it is helping you avoid bankruptcy. Right. So what we were able to do is we filed a consumer proposal. When he walked in the door to see us, he was owing $34,000 plus interest, you know, getting collection calls, interest rates anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12% on the line of credit, over 25% on some of the credit cards. Yeah. We filed a consumer proposal. We took the $34,000 of debt to $12,000, 12600 that, That's incredible because that's less than half yeah. of the 34000 he owed. Yeah. You know what, what's incredible, Elaine? He said that the payment in the consumer proposal, so it was 210 per month is what he's got to pay over 60 months. $210. Yep. Yeah. That was over $1,000 per month less than what his minimum payments were. Wow. And so how long did he take to pay it? Well, he's in the proposal now. So, so he's in it. Yeah, right so he's, he's a couple of years in, I think, as, as of now. Um, he's, you know, working through things. He's making his payments, and he's doing fine now. And he's got a job making money mm-hmm. based on the education that he went into uh, debt for, Yeah, I'm going to assume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's working in the field, and that's an important point, too, because he had just graduated from university. So by law, even though he's done a consumer proposal on his debt, he's still going to have to deal with the part of the student loan that's not paid back because it hasn't been seven years since he graduated school. So there is a waiting period, but it doesn't mean that it was the wrong idea for him to do a proposal. It dealt with all of his other debt. It stopped all the interest and it gave him the peace of mind, the, you know, the, 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 space that he needed to restructure himself. And it still brought his his monthly payment down to $210, which sounds very, very manageable. Exactly. He, again, over $1,000 a month in minimum payments, and he would have paid that for 30, 40 years plus. He would have paid the debt back multiple times over and probably never been able to save money. Right. Okay. So what about an example of someone who came to see you, um, but you didn't uh, let them file a consumer proposal or personal bankruptcy. Like how do yeah. how do you because that's kind of your business. Right. How do you how did you manage that? And that's something that I think I, I'm most proud of too. Is you know at Sands and Associates we look at the the client and we figure out you know if we've got the solution that's great. But if there's a solution that's better for the person that doesn't involve us, if all we have to do is give you some information and then with that you're empowered to do what you need to do. You know that's success for us as well. So not everybody that walks in the door, far from it, um, ends up filing a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. 
Okay. So with this situation, it was uh, someone they were in their mid-30s, and unfortunately, she had had a battle with cancer over the past few years. Now, oh. yeah, and it, it happens, right? You know, right. she successfully came through the other side, but a lot of treatments, a lot of therapies, a lot of periods of time, again, with, with no income. Um, she had about $8,000 of credit card debt and a really small amount owing to the government, about $300. So, you know, nothing to get too excited about. Um, 8000 to the government, you'd be more excited about, sure. but it was mainly the credit card debt that she was concerned about. Yeah. Now, what she had for assets was interesting, too, because she had worked, you know, during her 20s pretty steadily. So there was a retirement account there, a locked-in retirement account worth about $41,000. And if she could have touched that, she would have cashed it in to pay the debts. But the whole point of it is it's locked in. You can't touch it until you're 65. So she had this money there, but she had no savings. Um, She had leased a vehicle, um, and she just really didn't know what to do um, because as of now, she didn't have any income. So she was supported by her family while she was awaiting a disability pension application. Okay. So... What was the solution? Well, there were a couple things that she could have done. So with no income, a proposal doesn't make any sense because you'd just be giving her another payment every month that's not going to be possible to be paid. Fair enough. So, you know, two things she could do. One would be to file for personal bankruptcy, which would definitely deal with the issue. But the other one is actually to do nothing. See, that sounds crazy to yeah. me. Not do, and, and I don't know if I'd be able to not do something, right? Yeah. So. What did, you, what did she do? She had to have done something. Well, exactly. And, and I'll explain it to you because, you know, doing nothing sounds a little bit cute. But but essentially, that that's what I'm telling her is, you know, oftentimes the worst thing you can do is just to continue making minimum payments month after month when you know you're never going to pay off the debt. Okay. What happens um, when, you, when you stop paying on your creditors is they can do a couple of things to you, but it's generally not as bad as you might anticipate. Um, so they can call you. They can call, you know, morning, noon, and night, six days, six, seven days a week. Um, but you can stop that call just by sending them a lead letter. So I gave this individual a copy of a legal letter from Consumer Protection BC that says, I don't consent to phone calls. She sends the letter and all the calls stop. So, you know, that's the number one harassing thing. You can stop it with a letter. Right. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, uh, the juris- it's under the jurisdiction of the provincial government. That's right. It's n- not you making no. up that rule, but they actually it's made up that It's consumer protection legislation, but yeah. who is ever going to tell you about it? Not the person that's trying to collect from you. Of course. They're going to say, you have to take my call. Well, no, you don't. You can send them a letter saying, I only deal with these things by mail, so please take all this venom, put it down on paper, and I'll be happy to look at it. Right. So she was able to stop that. Yeah. And then what, sh- what I encouraged her to do as well, was to open a new bank account somewhere where she doesn't owe anybody money. And what that means is any money that she does have, any savings or support from family, that's going to be protected. The only way anybody can ever touch your money in your bank is if you already owe that bank money. If you've got a credit card somewhere, you should be banking somewhere else or if they take you to court to sue you. And what we determined here is the odds of this lady getting sued for an $8,000 credit card debt when she's on a disability pension, it's not going to happen. Okay, so the the key, though, is is setting up an account in another bank that you're not already connected to. Yeah, protect the assets that you have, send the letter to stop the calls, and quite simply, that's all some people need to do. Very cool. So if any of this resonates with you, if this sounds like your situation, somebody that you know their situation, or your own, and you think, okay, maybe I'll, that's all I need to do is sit down and talk with somebody about this, you're listening to the right thing. The show's Dollars and Cents. Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. You can get that fresh start. It's very easy. The number, 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. 
Doug Hoyes is on the line with us. He's a licensed insolvency trustee and co-founder of Hoyes Michelos, a firm in Ontario of licensed insolvency trustees. We're calling this segment, What 20 Plus Years as a Debt Management Expert Has Taught Me, Doug. I bet it's taught you a lot. Well, it has. And when I first got into this business, I, I became a chartered accountant. That's how I started. And I assumed I knew pretty much everything. Because when you graduate from university, you know everything, right? And I think accountants so, tend to think they know absolutely, everything, Absolutely, yeah. Right? Well, because we're numbers people, right? Right, you know the numbers, right. And, and, and numbers are facts. You can't, you can't mess with numbers, exactly. right? Exactly. So I kind of had this opinion that, yeah, I know why people get into financial trouble. You know, they spend too much. They're not disciplined. They don't have a budget. And so as I started actually working in the field and actually working with real people, which is what I've been doing, as you said, for, for more than the last 20 years, um, I, I, one of the requirements of my government license is that I have to keep notes of the assessments that I do. In Canada, before you can file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, proposal you have to meet in person with a licensed insolvency trustee, someone such as, such as Blair or myself. So I keep notes of those meetings, and I started going back and reading them. And over the last 20 years, I've met with you know, well over 10,000 people, so I had lots of notes to read. And I realized that, yeah, in some cases, people just did spend too much money. It was clearly their own fault. But in the vast majority of cases, that wasn't the case at all. They had got into trouble because they thought they were doing the right thing. You know, they thought that buying a, a brand new car was the way to go because my warranty costs will be less, or they thought that uh, buying the biggest house possible was the correct answer because then I'll make the most money, and it ended up getting them into trouble. And so that's when I started to realize, oh, okay, so maybe there is a bit, bit more to this. And you know that that's one of the reasons I'm really happy to be a licensed insolvency trustee. As you said, I'm I'm not working with corporations. I'm working with actual people who maybe have gotten a little bit sidetracked, um, thought they were doing the right thing, but got into trouble. And so by showing them some some different techniques to to uh, stay out of trouble and and deal with the debts that they've got, it's it's very fulfilling. It's it's great work to be doing. So because you've talked to so many people, what did you say, 10,000 over the years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you must have accumulated, along with your data, uh, the, the trends, the, the debt management trends that have sort of come and gone over that period of time. Which ones are, well, let's do it in two parts. Which ones have come and gone, which you remember very clearly and now don't exist anymore, and then which ones are still very prevalent today? Well, when I think back 30 years ago when I first graduated from university, most debt management was being done by credit counselors. They were the the dominant players in the industry. You had debt problems, you went and talked to a credit counselor. And they still exist. There's still some very good ones out there, but they are they're they're not as prevalent as they used to be. And one of the reasons for that is uh, debt levels are so high that it's difficult for a not-for-profit credit counselor to just work out a deal with the people you owe money to. It's much more likely now that you have to go and talk to a licensed insolvency trustee to do something like a consumer proposal. Um, credit counselors are great if you owe $10,000 because they can work out a plan, pay a couple hundred bucks a month, and, and deal with it. But um, my average client owes over $50,000 in unsecured debt. 
So it's not possible to just work out a plan where you pay it all back in a couple of years. That's just too much money. And so a consumer proposal becomes a much more viable option. So I think to answer your question, um, there are the the prevalence of uh, not-for-profit credit counselors is much less today than it's been in the past. And I think it's interesting, too, that you pointed out that it's the amount of debt uh, that folks have today. That's what's changed the situation, or at least the trend, in terms of a counselor doesn't help anymore, and really we need to go to you or Blair uh, to get the kind of help that's actually really good help, and it's consistent, and it's solid, and it's actually going to end up doing something at the end of it. Yeah, and and Blair could comment because I'm sure he sees exactly the same thing. But just think about that. If you owed fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and if it was on things like credit cards and bank loans, well, with all the interest to pay that off on your own, it could, you know, I mean that that could be a hundred thousand bucks you're paying back over a five or six or seven year period. It's just a massive amount of money that if you owe that and your your income doesn't support it, you just can't pay it back. Whereas with a consumer proposal, okay, let's take the sixty thousand that you owe and offer 20000 to the people you owe the money to, that's a deal that in some cases, in a lot of cases, they'll be willing to accept. That's much more affordable. And again, that's something only a licensed insolvency trustee can do. That's not something that uh, you know a, a debt consultant can, can handle for you because it's a legally binding legal solution. And they've become much more, more prevalent. And in fact, today, uh, certainly in Ontario, and I believe in British Columbia as well, there are actually more consumer proposals filed in personal bankruptcy. So that's a, another significant trend we're seeing. Yeah, so definitely, Doug, um, you know, it's about two-thirds uh, for our practice and, you know, similar within the practice, or sorry, within the province of consumer proposals over bankruptcy. So definitely it's it's the more dominant choice these days. And you're completely spot on when I sit down with somebody, if the debt level is fifty or $60,000, sometimes their proposal payment is actually less than the interest cost every month. So mm-hmm. their actual payment goes down, they get a payment with an end date, you know, less than five years compared to the never-never plan. Yeah, which is a which is a huge thing, and and I mean, if you look back ten or twenty years, consumer proposals are, almost weren't even a thing. They didn't even come into being until the nineteen nineties. Um, and even you know, if you go back to like the year two thousand, well, maybe ten twenty percent of people were using them. Whereas now, as as Blair says, it's it's by far the dominant option. So so that's good news. That's good news for people in debt. There are actually legal solutions using federal law that can help people deal with their debts. Hey, Doug, I'm wondering your, your perspective on something that I've seen, you know, rather recently here um, on fintech. So, you know, the new financial technology mm-hmm. companies, you know, they're, um, you know, get access to your credit score and then you borrow from us at, at a low rate. Are you seeing that in your practice? Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue? And what do you think the impact will be on consumers with these new fintech lenders? Oh, a- absolutely. Lenders? Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge trend and particularly amongst the millennials. Um, I don't know a lot, whole lot of 80-year-olds who are using mm-hmm. their phone to do to do banking, um, well, I'm not 80, and I'm hardly able to do it myself. So, um, but it's certainly something that the the younger generation is doing, and I think it's both it's both good and worrisome. It's good because with fintech, there's you know no bricks and mortar costs are driven way down, so there's a lot cheaper solutions out there. So I think that's that's great. Um, my only worry is that a lot of fintech appears to be free. It's like, wow, this is pretty good. I can get my credit report, my credit score for free. And I can get it as often as I want on on my phone. I just punch in a few buttons and here we go. Well, nothing in life is free. That's not how it works. And so when you punch in all your information, you give the company access to your entire credit history, they now know everything about you. And you will find that those free 
offers end up, you know, you, you start getting a whole lot of emails offering you this and that, and hey, here's a short-term loan, here's another loan, here's a car loan, here's a mortgage. They know everything about you, so they can target the offer right at you specifically. So that's the worrisome side about some aspects of fintech, that now there's that much more information out there. So, you know, I'm not saying avoid it. I'm just saying have your eyes open, understand that nothing is free, and make sure you're making a decision that's in your best interest. So I feel kind of lucky that we both have you and Blair sitting here, uh, and you're both licensee insolvency trustees. You've you've seen, you've heard, you've been doing this for a while, in some cases longer than the other. Uh, what do you guys see in the next 20 years? What kind of trends do you see popping up for consumers? Well, I guess off the top of my head, I would say I think we're going to see continued increasing levels of debt. I mean, that's what we've seen in the last 20 years. Our our debt level keeps going up and up and up. I mean, in Canada today, it's, you know, we're closing in on a debt-to-income ratio of something like 170%, which is a massive number. So wow. that means if if I if I earn a dollar every year, I probably have a dollar seventy worth of debt. And part of that's fueled by the real estate boom. I get that it's it's not entirely as, as scary as it may sound, but I think more debt is something that we're we're definitely going to see. And and as Blair mentioned with the fintech, I think we're going to see more technology to deal with with that debt. So. Again, some scary things, but perhaps some positive things as well. Yeah, and I think with that technology, sorry to interrupt, I know mm-hmm. Blair is going to say something, but um, the availability of of buying more, of consuming more uh, through the technology too, right? I mean, look at o- online shopping and consumerism compared to the bricks and, uh, bricks and mortar. I mean, they're having a really challenging time, uh, but I could buy pretty much anything I want online these days. Oh, absolutely. When I was a kid, there was no such thing as online. That exactly. wasn't, wasn't even a thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and now you're right. You uh, push a few buttons on your phone and it, it shows up to your door tomorrow. So yeah. Oh, yeah. a Amazon. lot easier yeah. to spend money. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the one-click ordering and sometimes even same day in Vancouver yep. or, or Toronto. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and Doug, I agree with you on the trends. There's nothing that I've seen that tells me that we're working through this, this debt problem and you know eventually everyone's going to come down to you know, ha- having no debt. I, I don't think so. Um, I think what I'm seeing too, you know, there's the immediacy of purchase, but I'm also seeing some worrisome trends. You know, uh, there was a, an employer uh, that was gotten the news, I think, over the summer here that they had a new product where they would pay you every day that you worked. So you'd come home from your shift and you'd pay a small fee for this service, but you would get your day's wages in your account that day. Huh. And so I thought that was just a you know, terrible idea. Your bills don't come every day. Your bills come in chunks and having your money come in chunks is actually a good thing. You can match it better with your bills. Um, but I think it might be more of a symptom of the gig economy. You know, everyone needs to have a couple side hustles that people are just going to work, get their money quickly and hopefully not spend it on, on debt. But uh, I think it's it's not a positive outlook from my perspective. Yeah, and I guess there's two ways to look at that. And, and you're right, my hydro bill comes once a month, but there's no reason if I'm not if I'm getting paid every single day, I could actually send money to hydro every single day if I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if my bill is a uh, hundred bucks a month, well, if I get paid every week, I could send them twenty five bucks every week on payday. So um, I, I think it's both good and bad. If you're you know, subject to the gig economy, which let's face it, a lot of people are. I know you and I both meet with lots of people who don't have one full-time job. They've got two part-time jobs because that's all they can get. So if that's the case, okay, then you've got to shift your your uh, spending patterns and the way you pay your bills around to match it. If you get paid twice a week, well, pay all your bills twice a week then. Um, and that's one advantage of technology now that you can certainly do that. 
Interesting. I think, too, uh, with this availability of the technology that that we're getting more and more of, I, I, I'd like to hope that we're going to get better at managing our debt. But boy, oh boy, it just doesn't feel like that that's, that that's in the cards for us at all right now. And would you, I, I know you sort of agree already. Um, what are the kinds of things that we can pay attention to to not fall into that trap, do you think? Well, I think being conscious of, of what's happening out there. So your credit card statement says right on it how long it's going to take you to pay it off if you only make the minimum payment. And that's something that wasn't there a few years ago, but now it's there. So, okay, be conscious of that and understand that just making your minimum payment is a financial disaster if you've got a high-interest credit card. So I think being aware is is the number one thing, understanding the you know what's happening, and then you can take uh, take actions to, to mitigate against those forces. Yeah, that's a great way to end the seg- segment. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Thank you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. Get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Darlene Mullen is on the line with us right now. Darlene's an estate manager as well as a qualified insolvency counselor and member of the Sands & Associates Community Engagement Team. Uh, Darlene's uh, got tons of years of experience, over 15 years, helping folks with debt management solutions. Darlene, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Elaine. I know uh, this community engagement team uh, that you're a part of uh, sounds like a very integral part of Sands and Associates, and it's such a great idea to get out there and and talk to folks. You must love doing that. Uh, Yes, and I agree. It is really great to get out there, and I do love doing it, Elaine. Uh, at Sands and Associates, we feel it's essential for people to be well informed about their own situation. And it's kind of nice because what are the what are the sort of events that you guys end up going to and and uh, and talking to folks at? Well, we typically attend trade shows. So a few years ago, we attended a national financial literacy conference, and we realized through conversations with other financial professionals that there was a huge lack of knowledge about debt management solutions. And actually, there was a large desire for information about the insolvency process as it relates to the public. Yes. And so we thought that if professionals such as accountants and financial planners and lenders were relatively unaware as to what sort of legal options were available um, and how they worked, that surely there was also a major lack of information being passed along to consumers. So since then, we've attended many public trade shows, like I say, each year, um, like home shows and whatnot, uh, to give people an opportunity to chat with us face to face in a really relaxed atmosphere. I was and just, this is, uh, pardon? I was just going to say that. I mean, it's so great to be at those kinds of events because folks aren't going there thinking they're going to talk to somebody in, in your area or, you know, uh, talk That's about right. their money problems or debt issues. Uh, and to have that opportunity, uh, I know one of your partners, uh, I see her every month. Uh, so it's, so I'm sure I, I just can't imagine what a great job you guys do each, each time you get out there. Yeah, I, I would say it's, um, you know, it's really satisfying being out there and sharing information. It's This uh, community engagement team has really provided uh, an opportunity for the curious to ask questions. 
and for Sands and Associates to promote financial literacy uh, and get people talking and generally just have conversations about finances and what to do you know, if they or someone they know have debt. So we really enjoy being out at these trade shows and is there kind of, Is there kind of a specific uh, uh, question or are there a series of questions that people always tend to ask or information they're wanting from you when you're out there? Um, I think um, I generally... Uh, you know, sometimes people are surprised, as you had mentioned, to see us in that atmosphere. And uh, so really curiously, they will come and start talking to us and and um, just inquire about what the process is about. And um, many people are quite shy. And so, um, you know, we'll just actually offer information on how we can help people, how we can help people with tax debt and and other things. So um, we really actually try and engage people when we're out at these shows. Great. Um, to bring them in and make them feel comfortable. Well, let's do some of that right now. Uh, we have uh, lots of good questions to ask you. Uh, the first one, if I could start, what's um, what? A, how important is it for folks to be aware of their debt options? How important is it for them to know what they are? Ah, uh, uh, very important, I think. Uh, there's those that are in debt and uh, those that feel they're not in debt, and then there's those that have no debt. Mm-hmm. So for those that are, are in debt, uh, owing money can be very stressful and has, have a, a huge impact on them, uh, their mental and physical well-being. And uh, oftentimes people have made quick decisions to deal with debt, including possibly getting rid of assets that they didn't need to. And so in that rush, to deal with their debt, they may have obtained uh, guidance from the wrong places. And then there's those that feel that they're not in debt. As we know, most of us have some type of debt, even if we feel that it's manageable. And quite often, it doesn't take much to shift from manageable to unmanageable. So should one already have the knowledge uh, to, to do what to do or not to do, they'll definitely be better for it. And actually, really, what we discovered um, at the trade shows is those with no debt. And uh, quite often, we would um, meet with people and speak with people. And even if someone has no debt, there's chances are that they know at least one person Mm -hmm. that does. And so it could be their child or their parent or their grandparent. It could be a, a good friend or a colleague or even a client. And at least if that person is familiar with the options, um, or an idea of who uh, a person can see. They'll just be an amazing resource for somebody um, just by pointing them in the right direction. That, that's a great point, Darlene. And obviously, you and I work, work very closely, so I know your approach is, you know, even if we can't help the individual person, let's give them the tools so that they can help others and be a resource. And it is as much as 10% of the population at some point is going to have a very significant debt issue that they might need help with. So it may not be you, but definitely someone in your life that you care about is going to be see- seeking some guidance. And the more of a resource you can be an individual, that, that's, that's great. Uh, now, I wonder, Darlene, just knowing that you're one of our, our most experienced estate managers in the last few minutes, here. Can we focus a little bit on some of the advice that you give your, your clients? Um, and I wonder if you've got, you know, a number one piece of advice uh, for people seeking help with their debts. I would say that my number one piece of advice for people seeking help with debt and um, uh, would be to contact a licensed insolvency trustee like Sands and Associates. And I really can't emphasize this enough, Blair. Mm-hmm. Um, we know licensed insolvency trustees will review all options. So it's the best place uh, to come 
so that somebody can be informed about all their choices and the initial meetings are free. What are people worried about when they come in for that for that meeting? Obviously, people have a lot of apprehension and, you know, everyone's a little bit different. But over years of practice, what do, what do you think, you know, is, is really people's hesitating factors or worries as they walk through the door? Often people are worried that they're going to have to give up their assets. For example, um, their vehicles or maybe they've been contributing to RSPs for many years. And so when they come and see us, we can bust those myths, and most often people can keep their assets. And this is really why they need to come see someone like Sands and Associates first. What do you actually tell them, Darlene? Let's say I walked in the door and said, oh, I don't want to give up this and I don't want to give up that. Yeah. Well, to, um, to keep it short, um, you know, we look at the person's situation, and quite often um, maybe they might own a vehicle, uh, and there is a, a certain value of a vehicle that is exempt, so they're free to keep it. Um, sometimes people are in maybe a vehicle financing, and if they can afford to continue to pay it and want to, then they can retain it. And really, a lot of people don't know um, that there are RSPs that any contributions made more than 12 months before, um, say, an uh, uh, insolvency proceeding like a proposal or a bankruptcy uh, they get to keep those RSPs. So we meet a lot of people who had liquidated their RSPs to try pay down their debt, and it still wasn't enough. Um, so when they come and see us, we can explain all that to them. Yeah, it's like brand new information for folks walking in the door, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. What would yeah. you say? What and sort of as we wrap this up, most rewarding part of the job for you? The. Uh, <laughs> um, when I'm able to help someone move past their financial difficulties and really see that they're no longer paralyzed by their debt, because we often see that, um, and instead they're looking forward to planning their future and enjoying, you know, the meaningful aspects of their life, being with their family and and planning for their future, um, that's very rewarding. And also the process can be life-changing for people. Darlene Mullen, thank you so much. A perfect example of the kinds of folks that work at Sands & Associates. Darlene's an estate manager, a qualified insolvency counselor, and member of the community engagement team. You may have even already met her out at a trade show or a home show. She's got over 15 years of experience, uh, like many of the folks that, that work at Sands & Associates. Just a, a ton of uh, good information and, uh, and a compassionate nature to help you work your way through the process uh, in the best way possible for you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Uh, I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. If any of this resonates with you, you'd like information, more information, the website, easy to get to, sands-trustee.com, or the phone number, 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.